Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO podcast. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging, and we want to help you be more successful. And today's guest is Stephen Ramirez. He's the CISO at UofL Health. Welcome, Stephen. Glad to be here. Yeah, so I'm excited to have a CISO on, on the CIO podcast. I think it's important to have a number of different perspectives. And I, I think, you know, you offer some really interesting perspectives. And I, I need to give a shout out, too, to Lindy Barham from uh, Simplicity, Inc. She uh, connected us and was able to help, you know, bring you on the on the show. So excited to have you here. Uh, so th- for those not familiar with you or UofL Health, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization? Yeah. Uh, again, my name is Stephen Ramirez, and I'm the uh, CISO at UofL Health. Uh, UofL Health is a regional academic medical center. We have nine total sites, five uh, total hospitals with um, some freestanding medical centers, um, and have roughly uh, 12,500 users and growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, definitely have our trauma one, our transplant center, and um, you know a pretty big regional footprint. So, uh, you know, important member in the community, especially with everything going on with COVID. So we've had a lot of our major testing and vaccination sites um, throughout the, um, the region. So. Yeah. I heard uh, CISOs aren't allowed to call them users anymore. They call them uh, points of uh, failure or points of risk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 12,500 points of vulnerability you have to deal with. It's Yeah, that's a challenging job. Um, So, you know, I think one of the challenges many uh, CISOs face and even organizations face is how do you get the support for the security efforts you want to do from either the CIO or maybe more importantly now, the board? I'd love to hear any thoughts you have on what, what, what have you used that you've been, you know, found success in being able to get that support for your security? efforts? Well, I think uh, over the past year that the dynamics changed for sure um, with, you know, ransomware being almost, you know, on the front page every every week, especially in healthcare, but it's really about selling the risk and really that it is a business associated um, decision point a lot of the times. And, you know, typically IT securities, you know, fallen under the IT umbrella, but again, that we've seen that that really siloed approach really isn't as successful um, and really having that relationship and um, kind of cultural build into the organization on, you know, working with the clinical and the business side of the house. So uh, most importantly, um, I know, you know, it's important to have a good relationship with the uh, CIO. I know a lot mm-hmm. of CISOs, you know, do have different reporting structures. It's most common to probably have them report into the CIO, but we're seeing um, that change a little bit across the, the landscape and going into legal, um, chief risk officer and other associated pieces um, just based on the specific organization. But um, really key is painting risk and, you know, really showing the financial patient care and operational impact. So showing some quantitative um, numbers associated with that, that we're now seeing that it's what $47,000 an hour for a ransomware attack um, on that. So, you know, being able to show that and to really show that ROI on the tools and investments that we're putting in place, um, not only to cover us from a reputational uh, patient care and a uh, revenue protection standpoint, but also to really, you know, ensure that we're delivering the care to our patients that again, we're so 
um, dependent on technology across the board in healthcare now, especially at academic medical centers, um, you know, that we're trying to be more tip of the spear on what we're able to um, really get into and, you know, really enhance the overall research and, um, you know, in turn, some creative um, patient care methodologies. Um, so again, you know, really painting the picture, very, being very clear and concise on, you know, what the technical risks are and then how that transponds and trickles down into overall clinical and business risk. So um, I've always been a big, you know, outside of the red, green, yellow stoplight, um, you know, oh, okay. out of the market, really going through and really showing quantitative numbers. If this event happens, this is what our impact will be from a financial patient care operational. And then, you know, really showing the safeguards that we have in place to really show maturity and then what we're doing to combat that risk across the board. So again, knowing your audience, um, talking to my CIO, that's a lot easier that, you know, she obviously understands technical components and the big picture. But if you're speaking to the board, of course, you have to boil that down into really, you know, more numbers and impact to the overall organization. So again, being able to be very targeted and crisp on what our current risk is, you know, um, they like to know like our overall rating on an ABC scale and then numbers to associate with that. So that's really where we've gone. Um, on that, being an academic medical center, of course, you know, happy to use grades um, like they would in college. <laughs> That's really our approach on that. That makes sense. I love that description, painting the risk for them. That, that, that's a really way to, a good way to describe it. But I, I think the challenge is that, you know, every organization has limited resources. And so I think you have to end up prioritizing things. But are there some areas of security at, at healthcare organizations that you think people maybe aren't you know, putting enough emphasis on, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, that has you maybe worried for those organizations or maybe even for yourself, but you can talk about other organizations better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, there's, you can't mitigate all risks. We, you've got to understand that you can't ever not have zero risk of organizations. So that's really important. So, you know, the first part of your question on prioritizing risk. Um, so really being able to go through and see what your most vulnerable as an organization. And then that helps what compensating controls you put in, you know, from a people process technology standpoint. So I still think across the industry, we're still seeing that multi-factor authentication 2FA is still not used as much as it should be. That's one of the, you know, more low hanging fruits across the board to really ensuring that you do have a, you know, secure perimeter and, you know, proper um, access management um, that, you know, when I was on the consulting side, I saw it. And even, you know, mm. being in this role and talking to some of my peers across the board that we're seeing a lot of these attacks um, as of late, you know, as it relates to ransomware or, um, you know, one of the after action findings was that, you know, MFA was not implemented as part of that because we know it is a disruptor, especially on the clinical side. So again, that goes back to what I said from a cultural standpoint, you know, really having that top-down approach, selling the importance of components like that, Good password hygiene and multi-factor authentication, two of the most basic things, basic things you can have that are really low cost, high reward, um, still are something that we need to do better as, um, as a security profession across the board, not only in healthcare, but in other industry that we've seen. So. so why do you think it hasn't been implemented? Is it is it really that whole like at least perceived and sometimes real, depending on how it's implemented, uh, impact on the user experience that, oh, it's harder to log in and I have to log in 50 times, so I don't want to do multi-factor. Is that what's holding it back or do you think there's something else going on? It's also that in healthcare, we have providers. So it's always about, you know, interrupting another click, another, you know, tool they need to download. So it's always taking in the dynamic of having to work with them that, you know, 
especially in a trauma one and, you know, a lot more stuff that we're seeing that that is something that they have to do if they're not used to doing it as part of their culture and or, you know, being sold on the value that that's adding to the overall organization. That's a change to a deviation from what they're used to doing. So again, that's part of um, some of the biggest pushback you'll always see when you're implementing security controls is making sure you have clinical buy-in because again, that's where it can be most impactful. And I think that's why across the board that it's just either too political and or um, it's a you know a big effort to do that, especially with um, a lot of organizations going across and you know buying up practices to really expand um, you know their care capability, you know, really looking to get more into the, um, that patient care community health model um, that, yeah. again, the more providers you get, you're having to bring them in, change their, um, you know, normal day-to-day operations into that. So I think that that's a lot of it too. It's really just the impact and people not wanting to be as big of disruptors, thinking that there's other things that they can focus on. But if we've seen time and time again, that that is still one of the most effective security mechanisms you can put in place. So it's again, you know, I like to always say security 101, starting with the basics, password, multi-factor, and then, you know, building out your adaptive defense in depth associated with that. So. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great point. When you acquire a practice, you're, you're asking them to change so many things. And so you try to cut stuff down on that. So that, you know, like, okay, what should we want to focus on first? Because there is such a cultural shift. And I, I think that type of security stuff could get axed pretty easily. <laughs> and these things that we know that the importance yeah. of, uh, especially in COVID now, remote work, and then, you know, being mm-hmm. able to have that interoperability with personal devices, BYOD, you know, bring your own device, that again, that's the really shows the importance of having like multi-factor authentication put in, because again, we're able to manage and protect a lot of our tools, um, a lot of, you know, things that we have visibility into. So that's why, um, you know, really the importance of, as we're expanding on that, really looking to improve the overall uh, care footprint and usability, that that's again, why it's so important to have basic components like that. And again, COVID introduced new risk by sending people home. Um, and then, you know, as we're going through and, you know, looking at drive-through vaccination sites, testing sites, that's a lot more of moving your typical brick and mortar out, um, you know, more into the community on setting up tents, doing other pieces like that. So that's a whole nother dynamic that you have to make sure you're securing new devices um, and new risks that, you know, is brought in as you're looking at that. So, Yeah. And I think that's the other interesting challenge is, you know, you have limited resources as we talked about. And so how do you, with limited, you know, time, (laughs) money, et cetera, how do you balance kind of having a desire for this continuous assessment of, of the IT security practices that you do, but also of the risks? And as you mentioned, you know, those risks are constantly changing. So how do you approach that to make sure there's a good balance of continuously doing it, but you can't do everything? Um, well, I like to implement a hybrid approach and that's also part of me being, you know, I always like to say on the dark side, I was a former vendor uh, uh-huh. and IBM. So really seeing that whole other side and what really works well, um, that we're seeing that there's a shortage across the board in security talent. Um, and you know, a yeah. lot, of, you know, what COVID has introduced that, you know, a lot more organizations that typically weren't remote are now opening that up. So that's a lot more opportunity. So it makes the healthcare IT um, which might not have as high paying of, uh, you know, positions as well as also, you know, ability to work in, you know, 
Facebook or somebody out on the West Coast that's fully remote now or Google and all those others. So we have to compete with with them um, as well. But again, it's prioritizing risk and then, you know, really having that uh, hybrid methodology that, you know, where does it make sense to have managed services that there are some great managed service providers out there. So um, if they're, you know, you're having, uh, you know, a newer organization, like when I came in, we were in the middle of an acquisition that it made sense to really scale components of that while we were building out our internal processes to really have that hybrid of, you know, our onsite people, but also the technology side that was also able to um, give us an uplift in our maturity right off the bat by having managed services come in to really help us get to my desired state a little bit quicker than trying to go through and, you know, build all of those components out internally. So prioritizing risk, putting in compensating controls, you know, from a process standpoint, and then, um, you know, being able to allocate funding. Um, Cause again, that's always, you know, one of the bigger budgets you can budget constraints that you can spend a billion dollars and still, you know, be a victim to ransomware or something like that. Cause you gotta not only be tactical, you have to be strategic in what you're doing to, again, your point to review risk, that it is a continual thing that um, I like to really have an all hazard approach. Um, you know, looking at the old emergency management perspective that you don't wanna just plan for one risk. You wanna really build your defenses into, you know, being able to, um, mitigate a multitude of risk that, you know, it could be ransomware today and it can be something else tomorrow. But a lot of those pieces do go back to what we had talked about earlier on really having your fundamentals and security 101 in place that, you know, having good passwords, having, you know, two-factor authentication, having good detection tools, um, you know, putting, having that hybrid approach, um, you know, working with strategic and tactical vendors to really help your organization as part of that. Because again, we're always going to have risk, especially in a healthcare environment. So it's about managing risk to a point that it meets our threshold. And that's something that we're able to, uh, again, be able to go to sleep at night, uh, <clears throat> that we're yeah. managing risk to a point that, um, you know, that we are comfortable with and that we, we feel like we have a good grasp on and can, can handle as an IT team. Yeah. It's such an interesting perspective to think, you know, with, with a lot of IT projects, you spend a million or a hundred million or a billion or whatever, you know, on the project and you achieve the goal, which is more efficiency and documentation and legal compliance. And you can feel really satisfied that you did a great job, but with security, you could spend a billion dollars and then, you know, someone clicks the wrong malware and, and all that billion dollars, you know, I think comes into question, which, you know, I say, you know, it's one of those challenging aspects, I think, for a leadership is to understand that you mitigated risk, but that there still is potential for it. And I guess it maybe it's hard for them to see that, hey, I blocked 10,000 breaches, even though one got through, right? Yeah, it's always the one. And that's, it's always human behavior and we're seeing more third-party risk because there's a lot of things that you can control. Um, yeah. But again, that's where you have to put in good practice and that continual training and awareness that we know that our um, end users or endpoints as we, you know, rebranded them in the beginning of this, uh -huh. um, that it is important that it is continual and to show them more targeted training and, you know, look for areas of improvement to really show them how um, recent events could impact our organization. So to really make it real instead of that checkbox training that we usually do, we like to do a yeah. lot of hands-on training, um, going out and doing that and saying that really you're our front line of defense, but also on the other end are, you know, uh, 
potential first line of risk. So it's like a double-edged sword on that side of the house. So um, it is that that dynamic of, you know, continual training, putting in processes and controls to really ensure that we're mitigating end user error and continuing to, um, you know, train and um, see, you know, creative ways that we can help mitigate risk. So, yeah, great way to describe it. So what's something a CIO doesn't know about security that maybe they should know? If you would have asked me that maybe a year ago, I think I would have had a different answer than today. I feel like that is top of mind of almost every CIO um, to the point that I am now next door to my CIO that, you know, she's right across my wall. Now we have the bat phone, um, you know, she has <laughs> but no, I, again, I think that, you know, the CIO is more the, you know, jack of all trades. I have to understand the full environment and ecosystem of an IT environment. And that's really where us as the security professionals, um, give them all of the intel and, you know, wherewithal that they need to be able to make those strategic decisions associated with that. So again, I think the dynamic has changed that they're a lot more um, security conscious um, from where they were, you know, a year ago and even three years ago associated with that. But I, I think, you know, a lot more on the security operations, because it's, again, I think it's that question's dependent on where the CIO came from. If it's, um. we're seeing a lot more CISOs and CTOs rolling into that. So, you know, people with a stronger technology background, you know, probably understand a lot more of the fundamentals versus somebody that's maybe, you know, like a clinical application or, you know, a COO. So really understanding their background would really help drive, you know, areas that they might, um, you know, be more dependent on their CISO to help educate them on. But I think, you know, having that 10,000 foot view um, and having that level of trust and, um, collaboration, you know, is key to that because I'll never know all components of that. But I think, you know, security operations and really understanding that um, risk landscape is, you know, one of the things that it's ever changing, that that's just one part of overall IT operations, that that's probably something um, that a lot of them probably are getting a lot more uh, attuned to nowadays on, you know, making sure they stay up on that. But I, again, I think that that is top of mind of a lot of CIOs right now, especially in healthcare. So, yeah, that's true. So I think one of the challenges is, as you kind of mentioned at the end, there was, uh, you know, how do you stay up to date with the latest, you know, security technology approaches, or even the next generation solutions, or, or even the opportunities to to outsource to manage service providers. Like, what what do you do to stay up to date on kind of the latest solutions and pro and, uh, and approaches for security? And I think going, I mean, COVID's definitely changed that, but. Um, really doing research, going to collaborative events, like, you know, my local ISACA, um, you know, PIMS, there's a lot of good resources out there. I know CISA, um, LinkedIn, believe it or not, is a, a great resource for seeing emergency te- emerging technologies. Um, there's a lot of CISO advisory boards and that. So again, um, you know, in healthcare and different pieces that, you know, a lot of people, it's more competitive, but we've always seen, and, you know, a lot of my other CISO um, colleagues would agree that it's not anything of a competitive um, component to security. So I know yeah, that every sizzle I've met is always, you know, willing to share war stories, you know, some lessons learned on practices that you could always call and say, what did you think about this tool? You know, what were some pain points to that? So really having the CISO group is like a brotherhood in that, that they're all willing to help one another. It's like a, you know, small fraternity anywhere you yeah. go that, you know, you do the, the fist bump and, um, you know, the head nod to yeah. that side of the house. But it, I think it is on, you know, leaning on, Groups like that, you know, doing your research and also having strong um, vendor and channel partners associated with that. 
because again, I like to always look at it from, you know, detection, containment, um, response and eradication. So when I have my key buckets, I can see who the top players are in that, with detection being the key um, critical component to that. Um, so again, I like to really set the stage of what I want to do and set the thresholds for me to be able to do that and then see what vendor then aligns in that and doing POCs, doing reference checks, you know, doing all those other pieces to really see what makes the most sense. And then also from, um, you know, lessons learned. That's, you know, part of what we've seen out on a lot of these organizations hit with ransomware and other, you know, security and cyber attacks. There's a lot of lessons learned that come out as part of that um, and going through and looking at what they didn't have in place and then what they put in place since then to really, you know, gauge yourself against that. And again, that's where you can use your managed service providers, a lot of your uh, tactical vendors uh, that you work with to really ensure that you are, that this happened to this organization. Now, what do we have in place to compare to that and see what any gaps are? So that's part of, to, to your point, that continual risk assessment and really making sure that your security posture is very adaptive. So that's why I like to use the word adaptive defense in depth, that nice. whatever we have is able to, you know, bend, not break to really align to the overall situation. So, Yeah. I think it's interesting. You you mentioned LinkedIn. I've heard lots of mixed reviews. Is that in the groups or just from the network of people you've connected to? Or where, where do you see the real value there? I think it's a mix. Because again, that is, um, you know, if somebody finds a good article, they'll put it on. And again, right. I don't necessarily think it's all like vendors, but it's like, you know, fellow CISOs, CIOs, sure. people in the industry. But there are those private groups associated with that too. So that's um, you know, a lot of people go to Facebook for news. LinkedIn's also, yeah. you know, just a good way to get something that you want to go research or have some, you know, probing questions to go through and, you know, start asking your network on. So it's it's yeah. almost like real time pieces that you'll see that there before you see it in, you know, the Wall Street Journal or something like that. Sure. So it's, just, it's just a way more thought provoking or, you know, to really just stay up on emerging technologies and or risk. So. Yeah, I love it too. I mean, you have to learn to ignore the uh, sales message from a few people, but other than that, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of value there. There's a lot of noise, but yeah, it's also, you know, having that, you know, there is some good content on that. So I think it's a good collaboration site. So, Well, it's all about the network you created. So that, that's great. You know, it's interesting. You, you used a couple of phrases that were interesting to me. And actually one of the female CIOs that I had on the uh, podcast previously, she kind of challenged me to do this. So you get to be first for this question, but uh, you know, you, you described it as a brotherhood and a, fr a fraternity. And, and I, you know, I, I love the idea, right? Now, I don't think you were trying to be uh, gender specific, although it is interesting that the majority of CISOs are men. Uh, any, any thoughts on how we could be more inclusive of women and, 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 and what else needs to be done so that more women are involved in, in, you know, in healthcare security and eventually CISOs? Well, I can say that uh, one of my first jobs in um, healthcare security and risk, I, my whole leadership up the chain, I had a, a female um, CISO. So, and then my yeah. director. You have a female CIO right now. which Yes, is and I do too. So I think that it is. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've, I've always been, you know, around that. And it's, I think there's a lot more opportunities to that, but it, to your point, it has been a lot more, um, I guess, male dominated in the sense that, um, you know, security typically had, you know, that tie into like physical security. So I think that that whole dynamic has changed and it's become more of a business facing and critical, um, you know, role within the organization and uh, where the CISO role and responsibilities were, you know, five years ago to where they are today that I'm, 
I think that we're going to see a lot more women in that. I have a lot of, you know, you know, friends that are, um, that I've come and, you know, close contact with that are, um, you know, some great leaders that do that. So I think that we're going to continue to see a lot more um, across the board associated with that. Um, and I know there's a lot more um, focus on that because, um, you know, they, some of the brightest minds that I've worked with and some of the, you know, I won't name any of the organizations by, you know, by name, but there's some definite people out on the West coast that I've called to, you know, get, um, squeeze their brain on stuff. And again, that's, you know, that is part of the, um, the overall fraternity of that, that, you know, regardless of, you know, male or female, um, that I think that, um, a lot of women are more than capable and probably better would do a lot better than I would at this role. I mean, my, my CIO is amazing. And, you know, I, I think that that uh, paradigm shift is going to definitely um, turn to seeing a lot more uh, moving forward. So. Yeah. Well, and we've seen that shift a lot. I think you see, I mean, you still see the good and the bad at events like DEF CON and, you know, Black Hat, where more and more women are, are you know, participating. But we also, I think, you know, in many cases, it's not a very welcoming environment for them. So, uh, you know, anyway, it's a challenging discussion, but I think it's an important one for us to have. So thanks for uh, taking part in that. Uh, you know, as we wrap up, uh, you know, let's finish off with a little career advice. Uh, you know, as you look at your career, what, what's been the best piece of advice that you've been given? Well, uh, that was definitely when I had first started that uh, one of my CISOs and leaders both had consulting backgrounds. So they had always said the best way to really understand what a best practice is, have that holistic view of what's going on in the industry is to really, you know, step into that, that world for a little bit. Because again, you're, you know, as a consultant, you're seeing, you know, different organizations, um, seeing different vantage points, seeing different risks, seeing different processes on how people are addressing risk and security across the board. So versus, you know, a lot of leaders that, you know, have been in the same role for, uh, you know, at the same organization for a while, um, they might have, you know, blinders on or only used to the way they're doing things. So that really gives you that more holistic view and vantage point to do that. So that was very, you know, one of the best subsets of advice I did. Um, I took advantage of that and went out into the consulting, um, in, you know, vendor sphere, and then, you know, came back to the, to the hospital side. So I think that that really helps, you know, me understand not only risk and seeing other things out in the, the market, but that also helps you, you know, to what we had just discussed earlier that, you know, being a CISO, you have to be able to, you know, present to senior leaders, present to the board to really, you know, be that salesperson to really justify what you're doing and really be able to paint that picture based on the audience you're speaking to. In healthcare, you have business, you have clinical, and of course, your technical groups. So again, you know, really having that more polished and presentation skill set that, you know, you do get being on the consulting side. I, you know, really now, you know, going back and um, thinking about that advice they had given me, I can really see how that all made sense to, you know, being a more well-rounded um, CISO um, as a part of that. So I think that was some of the best advice um, and continue to learn too. It's, um, and, you know, don't be scared to say you don't know and, you know, work with, that's why you have your CTOs, your technology guys, your clinical application people that you can't know everything. You just need to know, be strong at what you know and be able to then bake in practices to what they have. So, you know, be, be humble and be willing to, you know, have an open ear to how you can align to, um, you know, practices to make the organization more secure. That the old typical security was always no. So now <laughs> um, how can we to really look at how you can be more adaptive, how you can align better and 
um, you know, come to some kind of compromise. It. There's always something you can compromise in, especially in healthcare. You need to because it's our job to ultimately provide you know quality patient care across the board. So we want to you know be good stewards and support services to our clinical teams um, to really ensure they can do their job, but also ensure we're protecting the organization. Yeah. Great advice. Uh, be humble and collaborative. I really love that. Well, thanks so much, Stephen. This was a lot of fun. And I think you shared some really interesting and important insights. Uh, as you mentioned, I think security is top of mind for people, keeping them up at night if they're not ready and, and just always nervous about the next ransomware attack or whatever might come. So thanks so much for sharing. And thanks everyone for watching. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this and the rest of the CIO podcasts in the series, be sure to check it out at healthcareit.com. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you.